Well, hello again and welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Philip Jensen. And it's great to be back here again. Thanks for filling in last week, Philip, while I was in my sick bed, as you said. Yes, well, I didn't have any interruptions, did I? <laughs> it all went very smoothly, apparently. Very smoothly without you, yes. Indeed. Well, look, I'm sorry, folks, that I'm back this week to interrupt things and make things more complicated. But just to make it even more complicated this week, we're not just the two of us. We're joined by a guest. Welcome to Talar Kachoyan. Hi, Talar. Hello. It's good to be here with you. It's great. And maybe I even pronounced your name correctly. Who knows? <laughs> well, it's close enough. <laughs> well, it's better than I would have done. <laughs> um, Tyler, it's really nice of you to join us. And we asked you to come in and talk with us today for a number of reasons. But one is last week, Philip talked about war and the horrors of war. And of course, war is in our media and it's projected to us all the time. We hear about wars. But of course, we only hear about and are conscious of the wars that we keep being told about that are on the front pages and in the headlines of our news. Uh, And there's many different wars. In fact, I came up with an interesting statistic just in preparation for today's conversation. There have been three countries in the last 12 months, I think is the period, which have suffered 10,000 casualties through war. Which three countries are they? I'd go for Russia. Yes. And Ukraine. That's two. Two out of three is good. That's pretty good. Not many exams. I got less than two out of three. But you probably don't know, and most of our listeners, I'm sure, don't know, that the third country is Myanmar, Mm. which has had a terrible civil war that's been ongoing. In fact, it's just one of many, many wars that are happening around the globe. And one of those wars is in Armenia, or a part of Armenia. And Tala, you're... Armenian. Yeah, that's right. I am. You're Armenian, but you work at an Anglican church. You came through more college mm-hmm. and you work in ministry where? At Narrabeen Camaray Anglican Church. Which is on the leafy middle class north shore of that's, Sydney, right? Yep, that's right. Which is a kind of strange situation for an Armenian girl to find herself <laughs> in. How did you, first of all, how did your family come to be in Australia? Well, my dad was born in Egypt and he and his family came here in the 60s. And my mum was born in Lebanon And her family came here in the 70s during the Lebanese Civil War. And so that's how they met. And then that's how I'm here. So I was born in Australia. But they're both ethnically Armenian. They're Armenians, Mm. but Egyptians, Lebanese. Yeah. Why did you call yourself half Lebanese, half Egyptian? (laughs) Oh, because I grew up speaking the language. My parents taught it to us. We spoke it at home. My world was very Armenian growing up. And so was this. Uh, they both, their families had ended up in these countries because they had been fleeing. And so even my grandparents weren't born in Armenia. Uh, they were uh, born in Turkey and Syria. And you'd have to go back a few generations to find when my family were in Armenia. But they had to leave in terrible circumstances. And I think when that happens, People stick to their culture. So the kind of war that Tony's talking about, it's not the first war for Armenia. No, definitely not. Armenia has had many, many wars. It's been in a part of the world where over thousands of years it has seen wars. Tony wants to know whereabouts is Armenia. He's not willing to admit that he doesn't know where it is. Oh, but... it's over there somewhere. It's, 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 look, it's near Azerbaijan. Yes, it is near Azerbaijan. <laughs> Which it's tells you Turk- exactly where it is. Right? <laughs> it's near Turkey. Um, yeah, so it's Iran. It's just sandwiched in between all these countries. Uh, yeah, and it's landlocked. So the English would call it Middle Eastern. Yeah, we would call it Middle Eastern. Possibly. Geographers would call it Southwest Asia. Yes. Which would be more accurate, wouldn't it? See, if you'd asked me, I would have said it was in Europe. Yeah, they're in Eurovision. 
Well, <laughs> so, so by all important standards there So is Australia, which I think <laughs> that's right. So You'll find us everywhere. It's, in, it's, it's either in the southwestern part of Europe near Turkey or the southeastern part of Asia or the... Southwestern kind of, part of, of Asia. Yes, southwestern part of Asia. Yes. He's but, the geographer, right? I'm but, but it's a Christian country yes. in, in that part of Asia, which we don't normally think of as Christian countries, do we? No, no. Not many Christian countries there. What yes. other ones are there? Georgia would be the one that comes to mind, close neighbours. And of course, there have been a big population of Lebanese Christian mm-hmm. and the Palestinians were. Mm. Weren't there? there was a lot of, mm. I think it was about 40% Christian at the time of Israel's settlement in the 1940s. And it's much less now. But Armenia still is heavily Christianised. Mm. Yes. How did it originally become Christian? What, what's its story? Uh, Christianity has been in Armenia for a long, long time. So the tradition goes that uh, the apostles uh, Bartholomew and Thaddeus went there and they preached the gospel. And so there were converts. But the Christian who had a really big impact in Armenia uh, was known as Gregory the Illuminator. He went and he was evangelizing. He was imprisoned uh, for preaching the gospel. When he was released, he preached and the king of Armenia was converted. And in the process, he decided that Armenia would become a Christian nation. And that was in 301 AD. So it has a very old Christian history first Christian nation. So Proud of that. Very proud of that. I think any Armenian will remind you of that fact whenever they meet you. <laughs> so if they hear you're a Christian, they will say 301 AD, that's when Armenia. Don't you talk to us about Christianity. Yeah. We, we've, we've been Christian longer than... A long time. Yeah. And so when Armenia became a Christian nation, what happened was uh, their pagan, you know, they worshipped a lot of other gods before then. And so they just destroyed all these other pagan structures and in their place built lots of churches. So you go to Armenia, everywhere you look, you will go and you'll find churches, really old churches, yeah, throughout the country. So you don't come from Armenia in the sense that you're born in Australia, but the churches you're talking about, have you been to Armenia that you've seen all these churches? Yeah, I've visited three times in Armenia. So So even though your family, your parents don't come from the land of Armenia, your Armenianism is very deep. Very deep. It was my first language here. I went to Armenian school. Um, I went to an Armenian church. Uh, so very, very deep. So Armenia is full of churches. But, of course, lots of countries are full of churches. How would we say the gospel came to Armenia? Is it, has it continued in faithfulness from 300 right through today? Or were there other periods? that Did the Reformation reach Armenia? Yeah. So, yeah, full of churches and very proud of their Christian history. Um, But I think over time, their Christianity has become institutionalized and very much a part of Armenian culture. And so the other kind of very significant time in Christian history in Armenia was actually in 1830s, where some American missionaries were sent to the Ottoman Empire to evangelize Muslims. And as they arrived, they found the Armenians. They found this ancient Christian church, and they also found in this church that People didn't really know the Bible. And so they started reading the Bible. And over time, as people kept hearing the Bible, a small group uh, started questioning the practices of the Armenian Orthodox Church. And so eventually in 1946, 
they established the Armenian Evangelical Church. So it kind of came out of American evangelicalism and that evangelical church had a lot of persecution. They were obviously very different to the rest of the Armenian population uh, who were largely Armenian Orthodox and that grew and grew. And so that is the other significant date, I guess, for Armenian Christianity. And your parents came out of that church? So my my mum's side, uh, it was my grandfather who converted while he was in Lebanon. He was evangelized by an evangelical Christian and he heard the gospel. He became a minister and my dad heard the gospel when he came to Australia, actually. So I grew up with two gospel-believing, Bible-believing Christian parents. I'm so, so grateful for that. And so what's your story of gospel conviction and of coming into ministry? Yeah, my um, my parents, like I said, they always taught me uh, the gospel. They always taught me about God's love in Christ. And so it was all I've ever known growing up. I'm really grateful for their ministry to me. Life has been growing in the conviction of the gospel, very much helped by the ministry, uh, not just of my parents, but then going to university and being part of the AFES group there, that was very important for me. I got to meet other Christians uh, who weren't Armenian, but who loved the Bible. And I really learned how to read the Bible. And I was extremely grateful for that time and, and so many others who invested in me. And yeah, so it's a gospel for all nations. I'm very convicted of that. Um, and I was taught so well by people who had studied at Moore College and who were in ministry. And as I kept hearing about how important this message is, I just, I really just wanted to be trained up in that way and to give my life over to full-time ministry. At your university, there was some good Bible teaching from more college graduates. But, you know, where did you really get challenged, so to speak, with the whole kind of idea of more college as a place where an Armenian would be welcome as well? <laughs> well, <laughs> it was on an MYC, a media conference. I went, actually, after I'd finished uni, I was teaching at the time, and I went along uh, and I heard you, Philip. Preaching. <laughs> I see, yes. <laughs> yep. And that was wonderful. And and then we met. And I think on the first your, or second day of the conference. Your sister introduced us. That's right. Mm. You bumped into her in the lunch line and you picked up that she was Armenian by her name. And you mentioned that. And then she said, my sister's here too. You should meet. And so we did. And I think we had about a few hours talking. And by the end of that conference, I had decided I was going to do a ministry apprenticeship with you. <laughs> it was because of the way I got you the cup of tea, wasn't it? It was. You did get me a cup of tea. That was very impactful. You've been out of college a few years. Mm. Have you really enjoyed the privileges and opportunities available? Absolutely. I love teaching the Bible. I, I think it's a great joy is, is to now open up these treasures um, that we have to open up with people and read it and, and see them, see the true words of eternal life. That's wonderful to hear, Tyler. And we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll talk more about the gospel and especially the gospel and multicultural evangelism, evangelizing people from different ethnic backgrounds. We'll talk about that again before we finish. But I do want to come just briefly to where we started with, with wars and rumors of wars and the horror of wars. Mm. Because the one that's been flitting in and out of our news feeds a little bit here and there has been the current conflict that Armenia and Armenians are going on. Mm. Can you just tell us what's actually happening? Because I'm not entirely sure. I hear bits and pieces. I know there's this place called Nagorno-Karabakh. Yeah. What's, right. what's happening? Yeah, So it's a parcel of land that has been disputed over for a while. 
it is a part of the world where Armenians have lived uh, for many, many, many years. In 2020, the New South Wales Legislative Assembly overwhelmingly recognised that Armenians were Indigenous to this part of the world. But in the 1920s, Stalin gifted this parcel of land to Azerbaijan. And so when the Soviet Union collapsed and all these states were trying to establish their independence, Armenians wanted to claim that as their own. They've been living there. They've got churches there that are very old. And so that resulted in a war over 30 years ago. And it was a terrible war. Uh, Terrible things happened on both sides. And out of that war, Armenians, uh, an Armenian government kind of formed a democratic government in that region, but it wasn't recognised by the world because that land is in Azerbaijan. It's landlocked in Azerbaijan, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And so in 2020, war broke out again. Uh, That was Azerbaijan seems like they attacked and they wanted to reclaim There were multiple ceasefires, which didn't result. And then eventually there was um, in November in 2020, and that land was divided up. And so a lot of Armenians fled half of Nagorno-Karabakh. And then this year, last month, uh, we've had more conflict. And now Armenians are all fleeing because it's now been completely taken over. And so they're all going to Armenia as refugees. So, yeah, it's been a terrible month been terrible years of war in that part of the world. As all wars, the sight of the refugees, the poverty, the dislocation, the horror of it. But that's been the long history of Armenians, hasn't it? Yes. The terrible thing that we know of the Armenians was the Turkish genocide back in the First World War. Yes. Why were Armenians in Turkey? Yeah. I mean, Armenia has been in the midst of big empires for many, many years and has lost land to them. And so a lot of Armenians were living in the Ottoman Empire at the start of the Second World War. First World? Uh, First World War. Thank you. Thank you very much. You were a history teacher, weren't you? No, I wasn't. (laughs) Good, good. So, yeah, so while the world was preoccupied, the Ottoman Empire, led by the Young Turks, targeted the Armenians in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, They rounded up the kind of cultural elite of the Armenians and killed them. Uh, And then it resulted in 1.5 million Armenians being killed in a genocide. And many Armenians fled. They fled on death marches through the desert. Uh, they ended up in Syria, and, and that's kind of my own family's history. I've had great-great-grandparents who were killed, uh, or we think were killed, and their family having to flee as a result. Is that why your father's family was down in Egypt too? Yeah, I'm not sure when they ended up in Egypt and how, but so the, he was, his parents were in Syria and Turkey, and I guess they left after that. But it has meant that Armenians are scattered across the world, yeah. aren't they? yes. Very much so. I mean, I I found when I was in Singapore that some of the oldest Christian groupings in Singapore were Armenians. Yeah. But that would have predated the genocide. I don't know. I don't know when it was. I just found (laughs) the the woman who created the national symbol Mm. of uh, Singapore was Armenian. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And and the great Raffles Hotel. Yes. That was owned by Armenians. And the... uh, the Straits Times yes. was made by Armenians. And 
There's been famous Armenians here in Sydney, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. Tony, who are the famous Armenians in Sydney? Well, the only one I can think of, Gladys Berejiklian, surely with that name, must be Armenian. Yes. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah. But definitely. apart from her, I don't know any. But for those of our overseas guests listening in, she was the Premier of New South Wales up until fairly recently, yes. So we do have the Armenians are worldwide. But it sounds like the history of Armenia and Armenians has been a terribly war-torn and persecution-wracked history. It sounds like your people have been killed and persecuted and wiped out over centuries, and especially in the last 130 years especially. Mm. And they've done so and have experienced that, in a sense, as a Christian nation Mm. and often as the result of explicitly anti-Christian persecution. Yes. And so even now, is that part of what's happening in Azerbaijan? Yeah, I think so. It's a, as Azerbaijan has kind of taken over that area, they've been very intentional in removing crosses off churches and yeah, reclaiming them as different kinds of buildings. So I think you can see Armenians have, as in the name, as Christians have been persecuted. So coming back to your gospel convictions and to ministry here in Sydney or in other places where you're listening, dear listener, and you're seeking to evangelise Armenians, for example, and that's people, as there are in every culture that is deeply Christian in its heritage, there's still nevertheless people for whom it's just a name or just a heritage and just a culture and who haven't quite grasped the gospel themselves. That's true in every culture. It's certainly true in Western culture. Many people who mm-hmm. would call themselves Christians or have grown up in that kind of heritage but don't it's actually true. know the... It's true of Anglicans. Certainly is true of Anglicans. <laughs> and so if we meet people from an Armenian heritage, what sort of things should we be sensitive to as we seek to share the gospel with someone who's from that background? Yeah, I think it's very hard to talk to someone about them needing to be a Christian when they know their history, that their people have been killed as Christians for so long. And so I've heard some of my friends who've ended up meeting Armenians and have wanted to share the gospel with them. And that's certainly been some of the feedback they've gotten straight away is we're the oldest Christian nation. Could our church, it's older than yours. Yeah, and well, so, our people died for Christ, did yours? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, and so that could be a, a difficult thing to get through, uh, to get by. But, you know, I would love Armenians to call themselves Christian because they know Christ, they know the Christ of the gospel, and not just Christian because it's their history and it's it's important to them because of the wars that they've had and, and the church that they have, uh, but that they would actually come to Jesus on his own terms. And so, I mean, I think what I always want to do with Armenians is, if I can, read the Bible with them, is to open up God's word. Call yourself a Christian. Let's have a look at what God has said. And that is going to be, I, I pray, fruitful for the salvation of Armenians. Yes. We used to have the problem here in Sydney with, with Anglicans, mm. same kind of thing. And we found with people born after the Second World War, you persuaded them they weren't Christians in order to explain to them what it was to be a Christian, how to become one. But people born older than that, it was best to say, well, you claim to be Christian and that's great news. We're really pleased because that means you believe Jesus rose from the dead. That means you believe Jesus died. That means you believe in the Bible. So let's read the Bible together. Mm. And so instead of trying to persuade people that they weren't Christians or to become Christians, you accepted that people claimed to be Christian, but then you filled in what that actually meant yes. by reading the Bible with them. Yeah. So it's, it's that kind of form of evangelism, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 
That's right. It's very similar to what Mark Gilbert and others put forward as a way to evangelise people from a Roman Catholic background as well, uh, rather than yeah. attacking Roman Catholicism or trying to persuade them of the doctrinal errors of the Pope or trying to somehow critique them out of Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Well, we believe the Bible. We believe, well, that's fantastic. Why don't we meet and read the Bible? Mm-hmm. And over time, as you meet Jesus in the Bible, uh, you start to see that there's a disconnect between the Jesus I, I read there and the gospel I see there and mm. my life and my beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, I think for most Armenians, they don't really know much about Jesus. They think he was a good man. He had good things to say, but they probably don't know much of what he did say. And they have a loyalty to their culture over than to Christ. That's a great tragedy for such an old nation with such an old Christian history. I think for Armenians, it's very hard for an Armenian to walk into an Anglican church or any church that's not an Armenian church. Uh, It can seem like a a betrayal of their people and their culture. And so I think you want to meet Armenians where they're at, as we want to meet all people where they're at. And we want to meet them in groups. Sometimes that's more helpful than one-to-one. You want them to be in your life. I mean, Christian hospitality is something that we should be practicing toward people, bring them in with the word open, showing them how wonderful Jesus is, even better than being an Armenian, is to be a Christian. It is. Many of our migrant groups, and I think Armenians are really family people, isn't it? Yeah. And so meeting them in a family context. Yes. If you can do that, it's wonderful, Meeting their it? parents. And I think that was I mean, something that you did with my own family, Philip, mm. is you spent time with my parents and you spoke to them. And that goes a long way, I think is to recognise and, I guess, respect the way that these families have had to stick together through a lot of history. I think this is the... We've only now hit the second generation in our family where we've had two generations born in the same country rather than having to move around. (laughs) So... Makes family solidarity really important. Very important. Very, very important. Mm. And so it is hard to hold to beliefs that are different to your family. And so meeting family and sharing that with them too is really important. It also encourages me, what you're saying, Tyler, that when we meet someone and when we're wanting to bring the gospel to them, we want to find out who they are. We want to meet them, as you say, where they are. Mm. And we mustn't assume, this is what I sometimes assume. I sometimes assume, because Australia's a pretty pagan sort of country, I assume that everyone I meet's an atheist or that everyone I meet is anti-Christian or everyone I meet has zero background or connection with the Christian gospel. Whereas there are all kinds of people that we all meet, such as, by the sound of it, most Armenians we meet will not be like that. They're not atheists, and they're actually quite happy to identify themselves quite strongly with Christianity. And so the kind of conversation I'm going to have with that person Hmm. will be quite different, and the kind of what invitation I might extend to that person will be quite different. And that's really important to know. Yeah. I mean, that's a terrific thing. We've got to be just saying we have such wonderful opportunity here in Australia, don't we, to reach the nations of the world. And so why don't you lead us in prayer about evangelising our neighbours and especially our multicultural neighbours right here. I'll be really glad to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the gospel of Jesus is a gospel that started in one nation and yet it's for all nations. It's for every person in the world and every culture and it speaks to every culture. We thank you so much, Father, for what we've heard today about how your gospel came to one particular place and culture and had a long history there and how even now it's meeting people from an Armenian background and bringing them to know you through Jesus Christ. We thank you for Tala and her family and her story. And we thank you, Father, for uh, the gospel coming to her and to her family. 
And we pray for all of us, Lord, as we interact with people around us, especially as we meet people from different backgrounds and cultures, that we'll listen and meet people where they are and that we'll bring the great news of Jesus to them where they currently are, that we'll ask them questions and get to know who they are and what their background is. And we thank you, Father, that no matter what the background, through the Lord Jesus, we can all be one in him. And we thank you for that in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.